0: Late Night Conversations with Patricia Ndouli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight.
1: Dr. Ikhshan uh, Samuels, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Uh, Thank you. Good evening. Good evening to the listeners.
1: Now, I want to find out about your journey. Could you just tell us about how you became a scientist and then all of a sudden went into agriculture?
2: Oh, okay. So I I grew up in... uh in the Mitchell's Plain in Cape Town, um, where basically it's city life, nothing uh, is agriculture around you, and and you you grow up in a society with all these um, social problems. So your your faith is not determined um, that very easily. But I think um, my my love for for knowledge and and just my persistence to to complete school, I think that was my first step. In life, and then um, I think after my matric year, I was at home for two years, did some odd jobs, and then just basically where you decided, oh, you, you, your life is not getting anywhere, so you need to do something, and that's when I decided that um, I need to go and study. And um, so I was fortunate to be accepted at the University of the Western Cape, um, and I actually did very well in my first year. And I think that first year laid the foundation for me for the rest of my university career, which uh, basically um, spanned 13 years. (laughs) I finished four degrees, and um, I was very fortunate um, through government um, funding that I did not have to pay for my studies. So, and how I ended up in agriculture is that... um, I always had a love for people, and I always had a love for for the environment. And when the opportunities arose to to go into the direction where you can actually, you know, make a difference in in both of the people and and and, and environmental sphere, um, I definitely took the opportunity, and 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 I loved it from the from the beginning. And, and I'm so here.
1: Well, that seems like a journey that has been marred with hard work, resilience, and also a lot of dedication in order for you to be able to be where you are right now. But, you know, when we look at uh, agriculture especially, and I'm looking at agriculture Purely because, um, you know, one would think if you were to take the path of becoming a scientist, then you've made it to the ultimate top. But to take the path of agriculture, uh, especially for the young people that think, oh my goodness, this is not for me. I don't want to deal with soil and livestock and the likes. It's not glamorous. That particular decision was it based on the fact that we have a scarcity of uh, of food and also uh, 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 the aridness of the land and the climate change?
2: Yes, uh, I think um, it, it all it, it all starts with a misperception of, of what agriculture is all about. You know, you, you, you agriculture is so diverse that you you can be in agriculture not even having to be on the land. You know, there are different directions in terms of the. Uh, the value chain and the marketing and and all of that. But um, agriculture is is basically, for me, it's a a discipline that cuts across all other um, disciplines. It cuts across science, it cuts across the humanities, the social science, the economics. Um, You could say the psychology and and even a bit of health sciences as well. So um, I think if if young people look at it from that perspective, um, I think it would be much more attractive um, and, and I think also uh, what is not um, probably conveyed to younger people is that you know how much fun agriculture can actually be fun in the sense that um, you go to places and you explore new things you see things, you go to places where no other tourists go um, your work colleagues and, and, and all of them it just it, it can actually be a very fun career for me as well and I think that's what well I like about, about my career as well, it's not everything is not very serious. And yes you can become a, a good scientist,
3: um
2: if you if you do work hard and, 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 and if you partition your time in terms of, you know, I have to be serious and I have to sit down and think and, you know, block out the space for or for just doing something serious, but then it can also be the other interactive components of of your career, where it's much more fun than that. So it's 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 about getting the right understanding about what agriculture is all about, and I think that would, would probably attract a lot, a lot more younger people.
1: Well, take us through a day in the life of uh, Doctor Ikhshan Samuels when it comes to work. Okay, so
2: for. So agriculture is is, 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 is is probably majority or the major part of it is, is practical. Um but then also the sort of administrative component that you that every other discipline we, we're gonna have to deal with. And and the administrative component it's it's largely about you getting your reports done, um getting uh making sure that your students are uh, you know, on track on what they're doing, making sure that they get the best support that they can. And, and if you can't provide it, you you, you you go and seek other advice from others because as as a scientist, you will never be able to know everything. Um, and in the administrative part is, and it's a very com- important part of not agriculture, but in, in science as well, is that when you go and do research, you have to let other people know what you found out, because there will be no value in your research if you keep everything for yourself. And through that, we we have to publish our work, and it's it's quite very um, at first it's very difficult, it's, it's very time consuming, and um, you have to be able to take a lot of criticism. Um, but actually, that's but you you, you should view that in a, in a positive way because it it, it builds your character. And, and you actually you learn a lot because people criticize you not because they want to it's because they want to see you improve so you have to have that you know mindset that you know, not all criticisms are, are actually bad but the practical component is where we go because i'm based in cape town so you go to the different farms around the country you travel and, and you look at depends on the project that you're working on are you going to look at the vegetation are you going to look at the plants? Are you going to look at the soils? Are you going to look at how the animals are managed? Are you going to look at how climate change has changed the environment and to what extent it has changed? Um, you go to meet, and I think this is probably the most enjoyable part of my career. Is you meet new people and you meet you know, these rural, uh, 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 very heartwarming, very... Um, inspiring uh, uh, people in in a rural areas. That that even though you come with your uh, formal qualifications and your and your and your sort of westernized lifestyle and stuff like that, but they every day if you just sit and listen to them, they teach you something um, that that can't be taught in the books. You know that 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 no one that that you can only learn through experience, and then, uh, those are the things that. I really value and I take it, and I and I try and implement it in in my work. And I think for for the most probably classical example I can give is that what it's it's, it's even though uh, people in rural areas are, are quite ripe for poverty and 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 and, and hunger and those problems, but a lot of them are always grateful for what they have because they realize that you know there are people who are uh, at the, in a worse condition than what they are. And I take that very, and I and I take the two big to my work and 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 to my life as well. In that, whatever resources we have as organization to do our research, or whatever I have in my capacity, personal capacity, that there are those people or other institutions who have less. So we should be grateful to for what we have. You know, so those are key lessons that you you actually take back and and and, and you can't learn it. You know, in 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 uh, in university and those things. So those are some part of my life that was part of my job that I that I really, really enjoy.
1: Mm. And, you know, I'd like you to take us through some of the, the, the research you've done in the community around agriculture and the impact of uh, the recent droughts we've had and the climate change that we've had. What has that uh, uh, given you in terms of the research?
2: I think um, I should start off by the recent 2015, 2016, 2017. I know in the Central and the western parts of the country, and, and and further eastwards as well. We, you know, particularly um, livestock farmers, because I I work um, with livestock farmers. They, they have a tremendous or a very severe drought, which is uh, um, it's not uncommon. Um, but it was a multi-year drought, which means it spanned more than more than a single year. So it's not your average seasonal drought um, situation that you have. And 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 what I've learned is that. Um, we, we embarked on a project, um, an agricultural research council project. Um, it was funded by the Department of um, Agriculture, now Department of uh, Agriculture, Rural Development and Land Reform. Um, whereby we have to look at, you know, we go to the 100 best farmers around the country, the 100 what we call champions farmers, and see how do they cope with drought because. There are yes, in agri-agricultural system, there are farmers who do much better than the other ones. So we go, we went to the ones that sort of um, were managing their resources better than the other ones, and we go and we went and 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 see how they do it. and we went to learn from them, and what we discovered is that there is no blueprint on how you you can manage a drought because the drought differs differs from one farm to the next farm, and also your resources on the one farm differs from the on the next farm. And also the knowledge that the farmer has and even the farm manager and all the workers who work on the farm who, who assist in managing the land, they have different knowledge about different components of the environment. So they do things within their local context and I, and I think it's informed by the experience over the years. So there's no sort of blueprint uh, in terms of you have to do A, B, C, and D, but there are some sort of guidelines that you... That you can follow, and I think an example would be um, when the drought uh, uh, period is, is, is prevailing. That you you have to reduce your number of animals. But the most important, so that you can have less impact on the environment and you have less animals to feed. And some people uh, then use that money um, when they when they basically destock. They sell the animals and then they buy the feed to keep the other animals alive. But I think something very important that I've learned recently is that and it's contrary to uh, popular belief and, and in international uh, literature is that very few if any of the farmers go and buy animals again after the drought when the drought has uh, passed that they go buy animals again, stock up again. No, they do not do that. Nothing. that is one of the key lessons that there was learned is that because of a drought, it's not only the animals that sort of die back but also your your resources, you know, goes dies back and your your, your forage resources dies back. And after the drought that takes time to recover, it takes a few years. So you should also allow your animal numbers to recover uh, uh, uh in proportion to what the resources can allow can allow you. So that sort of um agroecological concept uh, in farmers in, in sort of farming is very, very important and, uh, and I think that's what we the key lesson that I've learned in the project is that don't don't sort of rush things after the drought because it's actually after the drought it can cause most impact on 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 your on your land so we do yes, we do climate change and an impact on um the land and the animals and obviously how it affects the your you know the money in your pocket because you sell your animals to to make a profit and to make a living so those are some one of the climate change examples the other examples briefly include that, you know, how different management practices, particularly in communal areas, um, affect the condition of the rangeland and I think it's a very important, um, sorry, aspect of um, agricultural research or rangeland ecology research that we, everybody is blaming communal farming for all the bad things but it's not actually true, you know. So we went to find evidence and show that, you know, these people have been farming uh, on their land for hundreds of years or decades, and they've got this intricate and detailed and sophisticated knowledge to manage the land. And they do actually a good good job. So it is for us as researchers to go and convey those good jobs that the communal farmers are actually doing. And similarly, with land reform farmers, they are very successful land reformers. It's just the messages are not getting out there. And I think that's a that's part of... Um, aspect of, of the farming system that we as researchers really have to go out and investigate and report on it so those are the few things that that, that projects that i can that i sort of worked on very recently
1: dr samuels you know you when we're looking at uh, COVID 19 and the the impact that it's had on all industries could you maybe take us through some of uh, the issues that the agriculture um, industry faced at this point in time
2: i think from 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 a rangeland's perspective um, uh, when you farm uh, at a very subsistent level and you farm and your, and your, your your marketing chain is not that much linked to a globalized or a formal marketing chain, um, you' are a bit better off because you can still sell your animals locally, um, but then um, the local people some of them might have lost their jobs and can can't, can't, can't um, afford to buy an animal for you. So, but then again, um, in in agriculture, I think COVID-19 is the, the problem. One of the big problems is the um, the end of the chain where there's no, not a lot of buying power because of a lot of um, jobs being lost and the economy shrinking. I think it's also the COVID-19 and the restrictions that are being put on, 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 on the movement of people but also in the restrictions in terms of uh, those who can can access agricultural land or the facilities to do what they need to do um so it, it could in in terms of broad agriculture to fix your the, the sort of the marketing aspect and it affects the um production aspect as well because uh with the restrictions in terms of uh and exports as well and perhaps you need some sort of fertilizer that needs to come from from overseas and it can't come now and land suffers as well um, so all of this has consequences for, for, for food security uh, in the country because then again, the agriculture, people can't produce food again. Um, and then the people at the end of the day uh, will be limited in terms of what they can buy, uh, fresh produce and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, COVID-19 has brought such a lot of uh, diversity and a really complex laden uh, uh challenges for, for the agricultural sector and it would probably be take some time for the agricultural sector to recover uh, from this COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Yeah. Mm. Mm. and obviously this is going to affect food prices, something that we've already seen in, in South Africa and across the globe but uh, not only that, I think uh, that the availability of jobs is also one of those issues to to grapple with so the economy really needs to be at a point where we, we, we have opened up but it needs to start thriving and it's going to take time as our president has said now um, Dr. Uh, Samuels just as we're about to close I, I did mention when we started off that a lot of young people wouldn't see uh, being a scientist or even being in agricultural sector as one of those hip and happening things. On the other hand, you're a person with a master's degree and a PhD as well in botany. So how could you encourage parents and young people to just, you know, look forward to this particular career?
2: I think um, for the first obstacle that, uh, that I've experienced in a lot of um, young people is that they're always worried about who's going to fund their studies. And I think one of the first um points I want to, to convey is that there are a lot of bursaries out there. There's the um, National Financial Aid Scheme, the NISFAS um scheme that can always support you. There are a lot of opportunities there. It's just for you to, to seek and and, 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 and and I'm sure um one of those bursaries will come come your way. So do not let your financial circumstances uh, uh, uh keep, hold you back. You know, you always strive for, um, to go find out the bursary and, and, and to, to be honest, in my, um, university career, I had about six, seven part-time jobs that you, you'd work weekends or in the evenings in order to, order to, to pay your studies or your tuition in order to, you know, to have the expenses you need as a student. So that's the first part. And I think the second part is that, um, in agricultural science, it, it sounds very fancy. Um, but um, I think for me, if, if I can do it, uh, anyone can do it. Um, I think it's the, the key for me is not you have to be the smartest uh, uh, person in the room. I think the most important thing is the drive and the passion. If you really put your your world and your heart and your uh, uh, um have a good work ethic, and I think that's the most important. That you that you will survive, you will you will you will pass, you will overcome everything. And I think that that is just the the very important, most important thing. Is that you don't? There is a way around not having enough funds to go and study. There's a way around not having a, being a straight A student. You know, I think in and and, and I think the answer there is is just hard work, and you have to realize you won't study forever, and whatever year you, you you work hard and you study you you can you can basically probably your if I should put it in simple mathematics if, if you if you have a four-year degree and you you graduate you will probably work for 40 to 45 years um, so for one year that you study in university you get ten years of benefits that you reap afterwards you know benefits in terms of you you might have a very good job and and and, and you could uh, benefit in terms of you in a, in a position to, to help other people as well. So it, it's those type of, you know, mentality that you you just have to, you know, think about it and, and say, okay, if you know, this hard work won't last forever. The joy will come at the end of the day, and the joy will last until you retire one day. So I think that's a message that, that I can convey to the, to, the young, to the young ones out there. I hope I didn't scare them. But um, there is a way, and, and 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 I'm sure you you can do it. with hard work, and I think that that you can definitely do it. And there are different parts of agriculture uh, that you can go into. So, and and I mean, if you have a passion to help people, if you have a passion to to help the environment, if you really want to make a difference in the country, um, a difference in terms of you know contributing to to the country producing food where my people can have you know, something on the plate at the end of the day. I think that's the most rewarding um, experience and a feeling that you can ever get. So, And I, I would really encourage uh, youngsters to go for it and, and make it work.
1: Mm. Thank you so very much, uh, Dr. Uh, Irshan Samuels, for encouraging our young people and encouraging all of us with your journey. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Late Night Conversations
4: Looking out across the night The city winds asleep as I Heart begins to be
0: Save them. Uh, Motibang, hi. The, the, the electricity situation in Madludia It's worse, It's
2: worse. I speak to people every
5: time, and it's. W-
0: Stage four. Time for the news headlines. It's very dark in here, so I'm tempted to say good evening to you, Greg host Thank you, Mr. Gwala. Voice from the darkness. Yonder the headline on SAFM, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. Late night conversations. Late night conversations. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight.
5: patty oh oh gosh you just hit the spot there you just you just you just oh you just hit you, 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 you just you just hit the jackal spot that's what you, you just you didn't hit the
1: Oh, my gosh. I wonder what else you were going to say. Uh, what other spot is there? Let's leave that for the Closet Conversations. Well, I'm glad I hit a spot, and I hope I'm going to hit more spots a bit later on. This is Late Night Conversation on SAFM 104-107 to 107 Nationwide. The time is 20 minutes to 11. Remember at 11 o'clock we're going to have Zulegat Kodasha giving us the final news bulletin for the day and uh, after that we are going to be speaking closet conversations. I did promise that I'll let you know what the conversation is about but I'll do that a bit later because we might have some sensitive and young listeners still tuned in and we don't want to upset them, right? So just know it's going to be steamy, it's going to be hot, it's going to be saucy because Dr. Tabane Nkwanyane is going to be joining us at this moment i want to remind you that uh, you can always a team uh, reach out and let's have conversations around the topics that we have the number to dial is 011 714 4045 or on 0891 you can sms 41391 sms is a charge at 150 or whatsapp 0614 104107 on dstv channel get us at 814 uh, or 814- or on social media platforms at SFM Radio at Patricia N Nduli. I'd like to welcome Mayor Horacio Hendricks, who is the mayor of the Cougar Municipality in the Eastern Cape. Thank you very much for joining us, Mayor.
3: Good evening, Patricia, and uh, warm greetings to all your listeners from a very cold and wet Khoja um, Municipality. Uh, let me just say thank you for for this opportunity to speak on this platform. Uh, and I would probably be found wanting if I didn't convey my salutations to all the women, um, young and old, all over South Africa, and just say, uh, you guys are more than sisters, you are more than mothers than wives, you are entrepreneurs, you are business moguls, you are political leaders. Uh, so just all the best in Women's Month, and congratulations to all of them. <laughs>
1: Thank you so very much. I'm saying it on behalf of all the ladies. And uh, yes, it's such a great pleasure having you here, Mayor. Um, and you're officially tagged A Team Mayor because <laughs> you're a guest of the A Team. Let's uh, talk about this fabulous um, recognition that you have received. Now, there's uh, an award that is uh, the Eco Build Awards. And uh, your municipality, which is the Kura municipality in the Eastern Cape, has received um, some recognition in this particular um, awards, which is one of South Africa's most glamorous green eco-calendar event um, of the year and is hosted by Enviropedia. Tell us about the two categories that you as a municipality have been recognised in. Um, yes, particularly two
3: categories. Uh, we actually as a municipality didn't enter ourselves Uh, One of our Eastern Cape uh, members of the uh, provincial legislature who brought the idea to Koga Municipality of a Plastic Road, her name is Vicky Knutse, she brought the idea to Koga for building a plastic road, uh, which was a bit of a far-fetched idea, but it was innovative, and uh, we were interested from the get-go. Uh, so we were nominated for two awards. One is in the category for innovation and the other one is in the category for for um, infrastructure. Uh, so yes, it's a proud moment for Gohan Municipality, but we wouldn't have been able to do this if, it, if the idea wasn't brought to us. Uh, so yeah, we're quite honoured. <laughs>
1: Listen, uh, you know, a lot of people are probably listening and saying, what does a plastic road look like, Mayor Hendricks? But I am aware that it's not the entire road that is made of plastic, but a large percentage of the bitumen that uh, is waste has been used, uh, converted um, in your particular roads into, from waste plastics. Tell us what the road looks like. Is it as firm and solid and durable as the roads that we are used to?
3: Yes, Patricia, you know, the first thing that people asked was, hey, you've got a plastic road, can I bring my car and do some donuts on your road. Uh, but yes, this one got a lot of attention uh, internationally. So the road looks like your normal asphalt road. It's just uh, all the layering is done the same, the way you would do a normal asphalt road. Uh, it's the same way you do this road. It's just that last uh, shield that comes on, on, on top, that, that last top layer where some of the bitumen or what you refer to as crude oil uh, is replaced with plastic, uh, so it's a plastic-infused road. So we end up with a road uh, that is more durable, that's more resistant to water and heat. Uh, Those two are probably the biggest enemies of any road, and that's why you end up with potholes. Um, So you end up with a more durable road. So the road is more um, it needs less maintenance, you have less potholes, and a normal road it needs about every seven years, it needs uh, to be resealed. Uh, this one lasts probably twice as long. So for municipalities, the innovation uh, gives you the opportunity to spend less money on maintenance and use that money probably somewhere else in real allocate to um, where you can. So you end up with uh, basically a better road, and that lasts longer.
1: And it cost you less to 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 construct obviously no, not really, Patricia.
3: It costs more or less the same, so the cost saving actually lies in the fact that you're doing less maintenance uh, a normal asphalt road will probably last you about twenty five years. This one can last you probably twice as long, so where you would be replacing roads uh, in twenty five years. Uh, you've you got no cash in the kitty because you're not spending that much on the road. So the actual construction of the road is still the same, uh, but the cost is probably still more or less the same, but you just end up with a road that lasts longer.
1: Now, uh, uh, Mayor Hendricks, let's talk about uh, the process of collecting this plastic. Was it um, waste plastic or was it plastic that had to be manufactured to be utilised in these roads?
3: Um, Patricia, that's very really technical, but what I can say is that the plastic that you use is more your hardened plastic. It's not these plastic that you would use, uh, let's say, for shopping bags. Uh, it's a more durable plastic, so the plastic you would you would find probably in your milk cartons, um, those hardened plastic, those are the plastics uh, that's used and infused into your roads. Um, and these are usually the plastics that last for longer in your environment and, and um, it's harder to get rid of. So um, it's a very technical process. Uh, it's produced by a company called Macriber in in Scotland. Uh, So currently we we have to import um, the air Uh, The whole idea of getting into this project is to get a plant in South Africa. I know there's a similar plant in Durban. Uh, They are still testing their their product. Um, Probably very soon they will be able to to roll it out uh, to the rest of South Africa. Uh, We try to support that municipality as much as we can. Uh, In fact, we would have gone there to do a site visit, but due to lockdown, we couldn't get there. Uh, hopefully now on level two, we'll get there. So if we can get the product produced locally, it will cost less. Um, and and hopefully this will take on uh, within our government structures to say, hey, here's a good product. This product is a triple win. Um, and it's much more than just a the road. There's other uh, benefits to it. Uh, and hopefully if our national and provincial government and and all these other stakeholders can come on board, we can do a really big and amazing project.
1: It would have been, um, you know, from where I'm standing, such a beautiful initiative if it was recycled plastic as opposed to us producing more plastic because we know that uh, plastic is causing quite uh, pollution because of the waste uh, for the oceans and and our our landmines. So uh, it's a sad pity that it's not reusable plastic that is being used but plastic that needs to be reproduced or produced from scratch in order for us to get these roads that are more durable. But still, cost the same. Uh,
3: sorry, Patricia. No, it's not. It's not plastic that's re- reproduced. It's actually waste plastic. Ah. Uh, but it's not all across the board. All plastic. You know, it's a certain type of plastic that goes into the road. So these plastic do end up on your landfill site. It end, ends up in your ocean. It ends up in your environment. Uh, we all drink cooling from from plastic bottles, we buy milk in plastic bottles. There's various types of plastic Uh, that's currently ending up in our environment so people get the opportunity to collect that plastic and it's not just collecting plastic it's harvesting plastic because you get paid for it Uh, it creates opportunity for income within our communities Um, at the same time you you you, you're dealing with your environmental threat Uh, and plastic as you know that ends up in our oceans is a big uh, threat to climate change Uh, So here's the opportunity to clean up the environment, you don't reproduce the plastic, it's lying everywhere, Uh, and that goes into your plastic road.
1: That's exciting then, then now I'm at ease, now I'm excited about this particular road because clearly it's also very eco-friendly. Was there a huge campaign around uh, Kugum municipality to uh, get uh, the community members to start collecting uh, reusable hardened plastic?
3: See that that's probably the initial problem because we need to get an outlet. So we launched the the plastic road. We did the pilot. Uh, we launched the pilot in March 2019. Then we actually built the road in um, uh, in August or September of last year. Uh, and it's a pilot project. It's the first plastic road in Africa, not just South Africa. So the idea was to launch. Uh, this project and get our institutions and our our government behind this project because we need to keep the plant both in South Africa. We can't import the asphalt from Scotland because that's where it's being produced. So instead of cleaning up Scotland, we want to clean up South Africa. So we need the South African government just to, to get behind this project so we do build this plant here. As I said, there is a plant in Durban. Uh, they are currently producing plastic roads. Uh, they are just in a, in a phase where they are testing the product. The, the product. And if it's approved and SBES approved, then we'll have a local plant uh we you can then set up recycling centers all over south africa to collect this plastic uh and then have it produced in, into a plastic road.
5: um viola from port elizabeth quick question um intriguing i'm intrigued by the technology behind it it's an innovation never heard it before but regardless my point plastic is um slippery um plastic and heat slippery um um, kinetic motion which is at a strong force value can create heat which induces slipperiness now you can already weigh my um, uh, my problem with this whole thing what's the concentration or what's what's the um, what's the quantity of the ingredients when you compare them all of them plastic in, in included into the bitumen um, won't it be slippery even if the plastic itself initially in its initial well, not initial state but after post production when it's already done, it's on the floor, it appears hard? The surface of plastic, once you um shine it too much, it becomes shiny, um, or translucent or it gives off, it gives way. So, cars run at a very fast pace, high speed. Um, the traction, the traction. Um, the traction on the road that is caused by the tyre and the weight of the car, all of that, won't it be slippery after um, a long duration of use?
1: Well, that uh, is from uh, Vuyile in uh, Port Elizabeth. Uh, Mayor Hendricks, could you perhaps tell us, you've used this road, is it slippery? What has the research and science behind this particular road um, uh, said? So
3: the idea of a plastic road actually came from the owner of the company, when he had a visit in in India, and he saw people uh, filling up bottles by burning plastic into that. So that's where the idea originally started. Um, It took years and years of production and analysis and evaluation to get to the final plastic road. One of the reasons why we don't want to call it the plastic road uh, rather call it an eco-friendly road, uh, is because this idea that people think it's going to be slippery and, and, and sliding. Um, so you actually end up with a better road. This road has been tested um, and has, it's already been implemented in numerous countries around the world. Uh, India has done it, the UK has done it, Australia has done it. Uh, when we started constructing the plastic road or the eco-friendly road in August last year, a few states in the USA uh, did the same thing. So the plastic road um, that that was uh, as it's some of the roads have been around for 10 years, uh, and in that 10 years, no accidents were reported of a road being slippery. So um, the road has gone through trials and tests. Uh, and by the time we uh, did the construction, uh, it's already been proven uh, to be a, a very effective road. Uh, it's also proven not to leach. You know, the plastic doesn't melt and go into your uh, your groundwater, so there's no leaching. Uh, the funny thing about this road is, in fact, is in fact that it's more heat resistant. So the normal asphalt road would melt quicker than a plastic road. Uh, it's been proven that it's heat resistant and much more effective than a normal asphalt road it's also more um, resistant to water so water doesn't seep through as easily as in the normal asphalt road so that keeps your road stronger uh, and more dense um, uh, than the normal asphalt road you know when this idea was introduced uh, in 2017 to our uh, provincial legislature in the Eastern Cape, one of the questions that was asked, uh, and, and uh, excuse me for saying this, one of the M.P.s asked the question, you know our people love to toy toy. Where are they going to burn the tires if we have a plastic road? So... There's a lot of misconceptions about the plastic road, and I would I would encourage people to do more research. Uh, they can go onto Google. They will find more of the technical specifications. You will find out that we're actually dealing with a better road than a normal asphalt road.
1: Well, uh, we'd like to congratulate you, Mayor um, Hendricks, on uh, the two nominations that you've received at the Eco Build Awards, and we wish you all the best of luck. Thank you, Patricia, and thank you for hosting me. Thank you very much. That was Mayor Harato Hendricks of the Kura Municipality in the Eastern Cape. Trending essay is back to get South Africa talking. They need to know, they need to know we are fighting our
4: rights.
3: As
1: soon as the is a fan in South
5: Africa, you will be on the first plane out of here, wherever you put your money. Not your money, our money, wherever you put our money.
0: The sale of alcohol will be suspended with immediate effect.
6: We are putting a face and giving a voice to each side
5: of the story.
6: TSA says what you really want to say. Excuse me, when for the first time I make the words you. Pays tribute to the deserving. This shows that South Africa has actually reached a crisis proportions when it comes to violence. Not anymore. That stops and stops now. Zanzi, you are our fourth host. Trending essay on your screens every weekday at 6 p.m. only on SABC3.
5: We've all been waiting and the time has finally arrived. The PSL is back will see bring down the table toppers Or will Kaiser Chiefs prove that Abuila Lama calls The PSL returns with world class commentary Sensational flair, goals and unrivaled passion Catch Bloemfontein Celtic take on Kaiser Chiefs In your language of choice at 6pm On Wednesday the 19th of August Live on SABC 3 and SABC radio stations Hashtag we love it here Brought to you by SABC Sport
4: For the love of the king.
0: Late Night Conversations Late Night Conversations Monday to Thursday 10pm till midnight
1: Well, A-teamers, we are about to go to the news with Zolega Kodash. And after that, trust you me, we are going to get uh, into the Closet Conversations. We'll be joined by Dr. Taban Ngwanyan.
0: Independent and impartial. This is SAFM News.
6: In your top stories at 11, Free State Director maintains innocence before State Capture Commission and states 2 load shedding to continue tomorrow. Good evening, I'm Zoleka Karpotase. Blackhead Consulting Director Edwin Sordi maintains that there was nothing underhand about a 650,000 rand he put towards a house where Free State a Human Settlements Head of Department Tim Mugesi currently stays in the town of Bereis. Mugesi was instrumental in ensuring that the province's business plan was amended to accommodate the 2014 Free State Asbestos project that Blackhead together with Diamond Hill were awarded in a 255 million rand tender. Their claims the tender was driven with corruption and bribes. Sodi says he viewed the property as an investment.
0: It was recorded in our books as an investment. In our financial books it was recorded there. The transfer was made from Blackhead Consulting so it was not concealed at all. If this was meant to be some kind of an underhanded payment check, we wouldn't have done it the way we did. We wouldn't have... Recorded this in our financial records. We wouldn't have paid and left any paper trail. We wouldn't have done these contracts that we did. So it was a perfectly legitimate, above board commercial transaction.
6: Power utility ESCOM says Stage 2 load shedding will continue tomorrow as its power generation system is severely constrained. Load shedding is expected from 9 in the morning until 10 at night. ESCOM spokesperson Sikonati Manjanja says they've recently restored three generation units and a further two that had tripped. He says that despite this, the system remains under pressure.
5: Any further deterioration in the generation performance may necessitate the escalation of load shedding at short notice. The infrastructure is aged, unreliable, and volatile, and this constrained power system is expected to persist for the rest of the week. We urge the people of South Africa to again help ESCOM and reduce electricity usage so we may be able to keep the lights on.
6: Bomalanga Premier Rufilum Zuenitibane says she intends appointing a team to investigate certain provincial departments for mismanagement of COVID-19 funds. She says she has identified some discrepancies regarding expenditure and pricing. She says the investigation will be completed in the next two weeks and they will refer the matter to the SIU should they find prima facie evidence of wrongdoing as a matter of agency i will be appointing an independent team of investigators that will be tasked with establishing reasons for the irregularities with a specific focus on the following departments and agencies the department of culture sports and recreation provincial treasury the Department of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, the Mpumalanga Parks and Tourism Agency, and the Mpumalanga Economic Growth Agency. Under Alerts Level 2 of the nationwide lockdown, The sale of alcohol is permitted for on-site consumption in licensed establishments only until 10pm. Liquor outlets will be allowed to sell alcohol for off-site consumption from Monday to Thursday, only during the hours of 9am to 5pm. For more information on the coronavirus, you can call the 24-hour hotline on 0800 029 999. You can also add the official government COVID-19 support service on WhatsApp on 0600 123 456. The Department of Basic Education says it is addressing how ready matriculants are to write their November exams. Department spokesperson Elijah Mthlanger was responding to a survey conducted by teacher unions of more than 7,000 schools, which indicated that 62% would have covered the whole curriculum in time for matric exams. Over a million matrics are expected to sit for the exams. Mthlanger says there will be a meeting with MECs of Education this week.
0: Are receiving reports and... CEM will also have its own workshop later in the week to establish the work that has been done to receive learners. So we will rely on that information that will come from provinces, but also the department has its own consortium, which includes the HSRC as well as New Leaders Foundation and other organizations that are helping it to compile information on the state of readiness.
6: Authorities in Ghana are planning to open a sex offenders register. Ghana's police service says the register will concentrate on convicted rapists. It says the move is to serve as a reference point for potential employers and to deter people from committing sexual offences. South Africa's National Register for Sex Offenders is currently only available to various employers, such as schools. It can also all only be requested by employees, relevant authorities, licensing authorities and a person whose details are included in the register. Recapping the top story at 11, Blackhead Consulting Director Edward Saudi maintains that there was nothing underhand about the 650,000 Rand he put towards a house where Free State Human Settlements head of department, Tim Mugesi currently stays in the town of Bereis. That's all for me for this Wednesday evening for SAFM News. I'm Zolega Kotashi.
0: Late night conversations. Hashtag oh, SAFMLNC
5: so LMC
7: met up with a gambler we were both too tired to sleep so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness The boredom overtook us and he began to speak he said son I've made a life out of reading people's faces and knowing what the cards were by the way they held their eyes so if you don't mind my saying You gotta learn to play it right. You got to know when to hold 'em, know when to them know when to walk away and know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. Every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away, knowing what to keep, because every hand's a winner, and every hand's a loser, and the best that you can hope for is to die. Gambler, he broke one. But in his final words I found an ace that I could keep You got to Know when to hold Know when to fold up Know when to walk away and Know when to run You need to count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the deal is done you got no when to hold, when no when to fold no know when, when to walk away, and know when to run, you never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. when the deal is done, you got no when to hold.